This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Oladanji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Leaky. Hi, I'm Brian. And today we're talking about a climate conversation that we've had recently, and we're just going to see where that goes. So, Brian, you said you had one that you had recently. Do you want to start I, us off? I did. I um, we actually here as as part of the uh, the Carbon Almanac project and some of our podcasts had a guest on recently by the name of uh, Joshua Spodek. And he's an NYU professor, author, New York Times bestselling author. And, and we dove into a number of different topics. And he and I ended up speaking after our recording session and have spoken a few times since. Uh, and some of those conversations have been very inspiring. And the one that I think I want to hone in on that, uh, that I really want to focus on is something that he's referred to, his last name is Spodak, he's referring to as the Spodak method, which is a method of having a conversation about the climate and about things going on in the world with another person to assess their understanding uh, and place they sit at currently in, in their relationship with the environment and help lead the conversation towards, generally speaking, the direction of uh, better improvement towards environmental actions in their own daily life or choices or variety of things. And he sort of got this sort of rubric and method that he's structured around it. And he's been leading that conversation method with quite a number of individuals as sort of experimenting and building out this method of, of conversation, including, you know, executives at oil companies and, you know, people from pretty strong perspectives of, nope, I can do whatever I want. I'm not worried about the impact, you know, sort of fairly strong, what we might say is, you know, not ecological footprint minded perspectives. And he's been using this method and going through a multi-step, multi-week kind of methodology and achieving results because it's, uh, for me, as I interact with people who are on board with the idea of, okay, let's, let's reduce our footprint, um, everyone's, you know, everyone's on, you're having a conversation in maybe a little echo chamber kind of way, and, and you're on board and you're focused and you're sharing the tips and tricks and things you're doing. And then when you have a conversation with someone who's not focused on it, you sort of say, well, you should try this, or you should do this, or I do this, or I did this. And those things that worked for you that helped either inspire you or the actions that you could incorporate into your life or your decision-making, your buying power, um, may not be the things for the other person. And Josh's method really starts with like, what, where were the times in their life that they were happy? And he tends to find that nature or some interaction with a larger ecosystem is, is usually at the root of whatever these moments and memories they have that are happy. 
And then he leads them down a series of sort of exercises that help move them in the direction of understanding that those happy moments and times in order to have those in the future and be possible for themselves and for others, they need to adjust some of their own behaviors, right? And purchasing decisions, all those things. And it's just like, almost like a scientific method. Like, so there's some real structure to this thing. And he's currently has me on this method, even though I'm starting in a place of, you know, a focus and attentiveness to this. And so he set me up with a series of drills and things to like, go get me out into nature to experience it. And I just did a, a pre-dawn uh, rock climb and and hike out to a place here in New York called Bontecue Crag to see the sun come up and spend time reflecting on some of these things. It was part of a, maybe we'd call it homework uh, as part of this method. And it was really just inspiring because it's I can see that it's maybe a method that helps people have conversations with loved ones, their kids, coworkers, other people where they come to it from a difference of opinion but this sort of method helps break it down to the, that common ground space and then work back up towards a new conclusion. Um, so anyway, so that's, I've been having a lot of fun talking with Josh and learning about this method and, and being sort of put through the method in a sense myself. And when this method is used with people that are in a, a very, um, very high in hierarchy and with a very strong managerial role, they could implement it in their own companies. Correct. Well, and that's part of, you know, it's interesting, part of, uh, you know, this Josh's methodology in whom he's seeking out to have conversations with is around not just anyone, but actually people who themselves could have a cascading effect, a rippling effect of their own influence or decision making. You know, and he sort of recognizes that he and his time can't scale infinitely. Yeah. He can't go spend time and have a conversation, follow the photic method with every single person in the world. That's not feasible, but he can go be mindful uh, in both who he speaks with and, and tries this method out with for their decision-making or influence power, or with people who can like go learn the method themselves and then go be uh, sort of their own amplifying version of this by going and following some of this methodology to have to take what can often be these like very confrontational conversations. Uh, you know, I grew up in a timber and ranching community where um, people really love and take care. And I would consider them, I would say that they're often like some of the best stewards of the, of the environment around them. But there's sometimes still like decisions that they're making that are not good for the environment in ways that they can't necessarily, it's not immediately perceivable. And I, I, I look forward to having and following this sort of method with some of those people in my, in my life that I think we see differently on what we should do with our day and time and energy. But we, I think down deep, believe in the same kind of concept of this level of like stewardship and leaving things better than we found it. And, and what that means, I think down deep, that's a uniform perspective. Beautiful. I'm interested to hear what this whole method is and how, how to find out. <laughs> more, more to come. We're, we're actually, we were, Josh and I were discussing, we, you know, through the creation of the Carbon Almanac Network, this very big, wonderful global network, we were sort of discussing the idea of okay, maybe we go like, maybe there's some people in this network who want to say, yeah, let me go try Let me try this methodology out a little bit and start to sample it in other cultures 
and in other locations and through different people to start seeing like how well does it scale as you as you pass the baton of method from one person to the next to the next yeah i think it's very interesting because Personally, I've always been very reluctant to talk to people or try to start a climate conversation with people that are not sharing the same perspective, and and I'm not helping so much. I mean, I'm I'm choosing the easy path, so I also want to learn how to do it and try to talk to people that don't share my worldview because we're talking about worldviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's because it's you don't want to have a confrontational conversation. It's not because that doesn't lead to the, your goal is behavior change, right? Your goal is likely perspective and behavior change that will have an impact in the choices they make and the influence they have in the world and the impact on the environment and their footprint. But having a headbutting contest with someone probably just has them dig their heels in and lean into the headbutting in many cases, as opposed to helping them come to a new perspective. So it's about it's about unifying, right? I think I think our world right now is just in so much pain and so much um, there's so much despair and grief that the more of these kinds of unifying conversations and invitations we can have, the better. Uh, less confrontation and more connection. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I'm seeing I'm feeling it everywhere and seeing it everywhere in all the work all the work that I do and the conversations that I have that people are just tired of arguing. (laughs) Tired of the divisiveness of so many topics. You know, it used to be there was like one or two things you didn't talk about. And now there's just so many that are third rails, you know, and, and they, it shouldn't be that way. We, we should be able to have informed collaborative you know, mediated kind of conversations that, that bring a conversation together towards a conclusion with, especially with how much information and data is at our fingertips. I mean, it's really just at our fingertips. That wasn't always the case, but it should, that extra information, I think, should help us come to better conclusions, not more divergent conclusions. Do you think, do you think people get tired of the, how much choice there is at our fingertips and just sort of pick a lane and stay in it? There, there's a whole field of science around decision fatigue. Um, this is, uh, I was chatting with someone recently about a, a different book um, called Mindless Eating. And in it, the, um, the, the author sort of uses this phrase, these moments of consciousness, make decisions in moments of consciousness so that in all these other moments of not consciousness, you don't have to think about the decision because we only have so many decisions we can make a day. Um, and I, and he, his advocacy in, in this book um, was you know, principally focused in part on like health and food consumption, like make a smart decision. Like when you're at the grocery store, buy the things then in your pantry are going to be good. You know, then you just go and you open up the refrigerator, you open up the pantry and you eat healthy foods because in that one moment at the grocery store, you didn't buy anything that you shouldn't be looking at inside your refrigerator or pantry. Conscious decision-making. I like it. Yeah. And that would relate, that would relate to the environment as well, right? What, what decisions can we make consciously about how we walk through the world that have impact? 
Yeah. Well, and they can be decisions that you, you know, they can be decisions that you sort of make one time and then you just hold to your decision, right? So I used to make a New Year's resolution for myself uh, every year. I would make a couple and like a number of years ago, I always used to put sugar in my coffee, you know, as many people do. And I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years ago, I just, one of my resolutions was I will never put sugar in my coffee again. And that was just my thing. And, but every time I make myself a cup of coffee, I still have to go through that decision matrix a little bit. Like the sugar is sitting there. If I'm at any place out there in the world, um, the sugar's sitting there. It's not sitting there in my house. Oh, and this is how we can do it. So if I'm at a, at a coffee shop or at a restaurant or anything, the sugar's there and I have to decide not to put it in. But at my house, and this actually goes back to this concept of like a moment of consciousness, I don't have a sugar bowl anywhere near. Like I've got sugar for some baking things like back in the pantry, but there's no sugar out anywhere near where we make coffee and tea. And so sometimes guests are like, well, where's the sugar? And I was like, I don't have one. I'll bring out the five pound thing and be like, well, here's the baking sugar if you want some, but like there's none anywhere near the, the tea and coffee making. And that decision to not have a sugar bowl and not have it ready means I don't have to think about it so much when I make my morning cup of coffee or tea or my evening tea. I don't have to think about it. It's not there for me. And that's that like decision in one moment. And I, and I, Jen, I think you're so right. There's all these kind of decisions that we can make in like big moments of consciousness decision-making that then we just don't have to think about anymore, right? Um, if you, we, there was this great um, piece in the Carbon Almanac, uh, one of the podcasts about gas leaf blowers versus <laughs> electric ones. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. I love that. Yeah. And, I was part of that conversation and, and it was hilarious. It was pretty funny. And, and I listened to it and, and really learned and thought, and I, I have a gas, you know, I had a gas one and an electric one both sitting and, you know, available for use. And I sort of used the gas for the bigger, heftier stuff and the, the electric for the other. And our house is fully powered by solar. We're, we're a negative impact on the grid annually. And, and so like the electricity is functionally, I've already invested in the panels and it's free, but I still use the gas one sometimes for just <laughs> right? Even though I have to pay for the gasoline um, and put in the oil, you know. But then when I heard that podcast... I was like, wait, let me just decommission, like, let me just stop using this. And so I actually like cleaned up my gas powered one and put it away pretty formally. And now I still am not sure whether, whether the right decision is to like what to do with it, but I just took it out of my garage and put it in my basement, cleaned it, emptied it, put it away. So now I just always grab the electric one and maybe it takes me a little bit more time. I have to do a little bit more raking to help it with its, you know, power. But it's that I made that I, your podcast was the thing that made me go put the gas one away. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> see, Jen? Yeah. And now I don't, I don't see it there. And, you know, it's in my basement. It's not in my garage. So I don't, when I go to the garage, I only grab the electric one as a result of your podcast. I put the other one away. Oh, wow. Well, thank you I'm for sharing our, that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think. Very often we do things because, um, you know, out of habits or out of convenience. And, and once we realize that this habit or this thing that is convenient is hurting, uh, this behavior is hurting the, the environment, the planet, 
we we change it. And so I think the the goal of this podcast is and the carbon almanac and everything the work we're doing is not to you know to invent a new solution, but is to make people realize that some things that they've been doing or or thinking of doing are not so good. But the, it's not like finger pointing and and shaming people, but it's just you know helping them realize that oh maybe there's an alternative way. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. I love the mm-hmm. idea of, of habit. Um, there's a book that I, I've read a few times that I love uh, called Many, Many Habits. And um, this person talks about like a micro habit. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're going to do a push up, do one. Oh. And that's mm. your minimum for the day. Well, by the time you get down to do one, you're of course not going to do just one or put your runners on and go to the end of your driveway or down mm. into your lobby, depending on where you live. And, and by the time you get down there, you're probably going to keep going. But if you don't, you've still satisfied your goal, which was to put your shoes on and go outside. Um, so micro habits and, you know, floss one tooth <laughs> and all you have to do one day is floss one tooth. <laughs> you know? So it's like, what are the, the micro habits that we can start with? If, if doing something big is too much, um, what are the micro things we can do? And then at least we've accomplished that one thing. And then, and then you build on that, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that does that sound like that was the book from Stephen Guys? Yeah, I think okay. it was. I Stephen see it's Guise. on audiobook. I'm going to go listen to that. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I love that book because I've done a number of things that were suggested in that book, and it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> Putting your workout clothes on first thing instead of your robe or whatever. <laughs> And it's like, well, I did all this work to get dressed into my workout clothes. I might as well work out. <laughs> might as well go do it. <laughs> what is it? There's an inertia that shows up. And I think this comes back to that question of decision-making. Decision-making is like a moment where you have to choose a path, left or right, up or down. And when you just sort of set yourself so there's already inertia going one direction for the other, versus the other, it's more likely that you will move with the, you will go with the inertia that you set in motion. Yeah. So what I can we, it. what decisions can we make for, uh, that are good for the planet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even long. know how to... I'm, I'm pausing. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that succinctly <laughs> at all. Well, that could have been a rhetorical question too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a good segue to my experience. Mm, yes, yeah, which is it, um, which is related to well, as usual, to food, of course, uh, because I love talking about food. You know, um, my experience is with um, the book signing. I remember, um, I think it was in July. We did this book signing event, and uh, because the book was not published in France, and uh, and I was, I think I was traveling somewhere that day, and I didn't really have a lot of time to do it. So I went to um, a store um, where they sell. Um, wonderful um, vegetable and fruit. And it's a very a wonderful, wonderful full shop that is not so big and it's really in my neighborhood. And it's run by a couple and um, they are very, very in love with great, great food. So it, when you go to this 
place. You buy, you know, you get uh, like species vegetable and fruits that I never could have imagined could have existed. Like, you know, tomatoes, they don't just sell tomatoes. They sell the ancient uh, species of tomatoes. Uh, they sell like, you know, um, carrots. I didn't know that there are so many varieties of carrots, but they do, they, they really care for the, you know, the small, um, small batches of production. And also another thing that they go for is um, is the local production because you know they they started this shop with a very strong idea is that you know um, they want to eat wonderful food and it's really started with this simple idea of eating wonderful food and the wonderful food is not that far away we don't need to import like I don't know mangoes we can grow mangoes um, not so far from France we can we have wonderful mangoes in Spain um, like kiwis. Well, we don't need to import kiwis uh, from New Zealand. We can grow it here. And, um, you know, it's, it's really looking for finding those locally produced and small batches vegetable. And because I'm a customer of the shop, uh, actually, I buy, I don't buy my veggies and, and fruit from the supermarket. I only buy it from the market or from them. And so I decided to go and do the book signing at the place. So that was before the summer holiday. And then uh, when I came back uh, after the holiday, uh, we started this conversation and the guy uh, whose name is Neymat said, oh, you know, it's it's really wonderful that, you know, you're writing, you're participating in this book because, well, we had a very, very hot summer in Europe. Um, we, the climate is really changing. It's going to the wrong direction. And so it, the work that you're doing and you and your group and your friends, your colleagues is really important. And then I said, well... But I think that the work that you are doing is even more important. I think it's even more important because you are um, you're helping small farmers live and produce out of the land and uh, you're putting great food on the table. And um, you're also helping the, the environment by local production and also you know, reducing the, the shipping costs. And that's all adding up. It's very, very heavy in, uh, with very heavy in the environment, in climate change. And he's like, oh, really? You think my work is helping fight the climate change? And I said, absolutely, yeah. And it was like magical because it was a moment of epiphany for him and because he didn't realize that he was doing the thing in the, you know, yeah, he didn't realize he was helping. And so that made me come to actually two things that made me very, very happy and, um, and hopeful because one is that there are a lot of people out there that are doing wonderful things because it seems the right thing to be, to do, but not, not because they want to, you know, want to fight a particular cause or something but it's just because something they think is the right thing to do so one thing that made me very hopeful is that there's a, a lot of people out there that are doing things that are good for the environment good for the planet and they're doing it because it seems the right thing to do so that's um that's 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 great and yeah they are not like not bragging themselves they're just doing the work because it seems to be the most sensitive way of doing things. So that's the first thing that made me very, very happy. The second thing that made me very happy is that, you know, uh, very often people, a lot of people, actually, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, um, yeah, well, if we need to um, do things the right way, it has to be restrictive. 
we need we need to sacrifice we need to do things that will it's not uh, it's not fun um but it's not true because you know <laughs> it's not true because you know eating locally produced uh food and locally uh produced food that are from ancient species it's absolutely delicious it's really I'm having a feast every time I, you know, I, I cook his food. It's just wonderful. So, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's a change of, um, of mindset. I don't know. Yeah. I love yeah. how enthusiastic <laughs> you are. <laughs> I love food too, Leaky. You're making me hungry. <laughs> well, and, and people couldn't hear it on the podcast, but there was a moment where, you know, here, as we can see each other, I held up as Leaky was talking, I'm eating the last, the absolute last of my homegrown tomatoes. Like, <laughs> this is the last one on my plate. And I went on mute and had a bite in honor of what you were saying, because it's so true, both, you know, going and buying food that you can know the story of and sort of the access and then take it home and you you met the farmer at the market or whatever, yes. or maybe you grew something yourself, it it tastes better. And it's not because it empirically tastes better. It tastes better because of the, the experience of it. You yes. have a relationship with it. Yes. And and maybe it empirically tastes better too. Um, and it's so, I loved, I loved what you just said because you're right. There's some of those things that are, they're actually more fun and lovely and enjoyable, yeah. not painful and a sacrifice and work yes. and a headache um, and, and the enjoyment that can, comes with simple decisions, coming back to decisions that lead yes. you those ways. I, I just totally love it. Totally love yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. So I had a conversation um, and it was about a conversation. I had a conversation about a conversation I wasn't part of. <laughs> um and it was around, uh, I, I was, it was last evening and I was having this conversation with someone who had attended, um, a town, town hall, um, which is a, a gathering that, um, the organization I work with has monthly and, um, there's about a hundred people on the call from about a hundred different organizations. And the conversation was around how to make our organizations, um, have less of a carbon impact. And um, so she was very excited. This person who had attended was very excited about the conversation and all the things that we could do. And I was thinking we, we hosted a conference last weekend and um, I was, you know, having the planning meetings with the hospitality team and, and all of the rest of it. And um, they were talking about what to serve and it came up, we should have coffee and tea and and water and someone said oh I can pick up a flat and I just I hear that and I just go, <gasps> because bottled water just makes me go <gasps> <laughs> so especially when we live in a place where our water is amazing and so I said how, how about we put out jugs of water and we use our glasses our real glasses that we have um Oh, even better, you know. Um, a, it's free, <laughs> and B, it's no plastic, right? Mm -hmm. So, so little tiny things that can be done that shift, right? Because if we're so used to the convenience of doing something, it's a habit. Going back mm -hmm. to habit. But what if we shift it a little bit and make a decision that 
is good for the planet, works just as well, and and make a new habit, um, then we can have a, a bigger impact. So, um, you know, little little tiny things sometimes can make a big difference, but it's just that that shift in conversation. So, and associated with something positive as well, to make a to to enforce a habit. Yeah. 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 And I think, and I think like you were saying earlier, um, Brian, I think about things being restrictive. Maybe it was leaky. I can't remember, but somebody said that um, mm. there's a concept out there that it's restrictive, but actually yeah. sometimes it's easier, faster and free <laughs> or less expensive, <laughs> which is not what we immediately think of when we think of, oh, going green is going to cost more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the the, yeah. the example of water is perfect because water costs nothing. Yeah, or making coffee at home and putting it in your travel mug, you know, is going to be a lot less expensive than, you know, spending five bucks or whatever it is now at the local fancy shop, right? Um, we have a huge coffee culture here. So there's coffee shops on every single corner and sometimes three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here as well. <laughs> and so everyone's walking around. <laughs> Speaking of which, I just knocked <laughs> um, Everyone's walking around with something, and there are choices even in that that you can make that are, you know, get get your uh, your reusable thing and have that instead. So, yeah, habit. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> what do you think? I was I was conflicted and I had two to choose from when we teed it up. Do you think we have time for a second one if I throw another one out? I think so. We can do one more. You think we, so? You we'll think, try. Mickey, we can do one yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. 14 minutes because you yeah. need to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so last night I uh, attended an event. It was, uh, I've been to this event a few times, but this was the first time that the annual event happened since the pandemic. It was the first time we all came back physically together um, in New York City. And it was the sort of annual dinner uh, and sort of awards dinner for the Global Fund for Widows, which is a, a, an impressive organization that focuses on um, essentially the, the plight of widows around the globe in, in, in a many, many corners of the globe. Um, and especially much of their work is in, is in the continent of Africa. And it sort of focuses on uh, setting up wasalas, as they're referred to, these sort of like, uh, it's a community-funded bank that sort of they, some dollars come in, the widows in the community put dollars in as well, and then it sort of, there's rules and operations around it. And this, uh, there's this conversation about, and they were celebrating the, um, and actually, Olabanji isn't here today, um, and I, I wish he was here today, um, to help me, but one of the honorees, one of the guests of honor, um, was the former first lady of Nigeria, uh, Madam Ajoki Muhammad. I think I got that pretty right, but but he might have been able to correct me slightly. And and uh, and actually, her daughter, Madam Aisha Muhammad Oyabode, um, and they were being honored in part for many of their things, and I won't go into those. But it was a moment as I was sitting there. Having been to these events uh, in support of this concept of helping widows who often in many cultures and situations are, you know, if, should their spouse or husband die, they're sort of disenfranchised and disempowered in ways that are very problematic to their situation, the situation of their children, 
their assets are sort of retransferred and redistributed. And there's all these like challenge, very challenging things that, that arise as a result. Um, and having worked on the Carbon Almanac in the last couple of years, sitting there at this moment, one of the things that, um, you know, a number of authors and the, the Drawdown Project has focused on is one of the biggest areas that we can create climate impact in is actually in the empowerment and education of young girls, young girls principally, and young women. Um, and that, the cascading effects that come out of that have significant impact on decisions um, in, a, in a volumetric, you know, volume uh, large way that have a very positive impact on the environment and moving things in the right direction. And so I was sitting here thinking and having some conversations about this, you know, what to me had felt like being involved in something that's helping humans and their experience be better. But then in Leaky, this goes a little bit to sort of like your thing, like all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is helping humans who then, because they were focusing in part on, on them being able to afford school fees for mm -hmm. their children and being able to, you know, and all these things that feed back into empowerment and education of young women across the globe in, in very disenfranchised situations. And I was like, oh, wait, this is not just helping those people have a better existence, but then they're armed to make decisions in their life that will have a positive impact and the world will be a better place and move in the right direction. And it was just this like really wonderful moment where like, I hadn't really thought about, you know, supporting widows as, and this sort of effort is like an environmental topic at all. It hadn't ever, until last night at this event. And I was like, oh yes, this is helping move that, that goal. You move towards that goal post as well. Um, so that was my second one. You know, what's great about that is I never thought of it that way either. And a number of years ago, um, one of our, uh, well, two of our daughters actually, but one of our daughters went to uh, Guatemala and we have friends who have partnered with a little village there and a school and it's very expensive to send girls to school. The boys get to go, but the girls mostly don't. And, um, and so our family made a decision probably six or seven years ago, instead of giving gifts to each other at Christmas, we are sending girls to school and so we've been paying for a number of girls like two or three girls to go and one of the one of the young women now is in medical school and she is i think soon going to be finished we're hoping um, but we're getting we get letters and our friends take things back and forth and um, but we get together and we play games and we have a wonderful time and then we just throw money in, in whatever amounts in envelopes into a basket and then we, we send what we have, uh, what we would have spent to, to this mm -hmm. village. And they've built a new school because a, a whole bunch of people we know are doing this. They've got a beautiful mm -hmm. new school and they've got a number of girls who have now graduated and uh and are going on to other things and it, i've never thought of this in an environmental way i know that that we were feeling pretty good about having people your impact yeah <laughs> the, you know learning and and not just you know getting um ending up having families at you know a really young age um but they're going to school and they end up educating their family 
also, you know, sharing what they've learned. And so it has an impact that way, but I never thought of it in an environmental sense. So that's, that's really cool to think of that. Yeah. I, I love that story. And, and I'm, I want to add, I think another environmental layer to it. And this one may be one that you'd already thought about, which is, and then there's not all those different gifts that often might be, you yeah. know, products, plastics, those kind of things being passed around with all those things. I, I really like that. We play a game where we have to take something that we have in our house that we don't want anymore and we wrap it up and put it under the tree. And then everybody plays the, the <laughs> game where they get to open and some of them are horrible and they've been going around <laughs> for years. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, it's like, oh no, you got the gift, right? Right. right. <laughs> and no one is allowed to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't buy something for this game. It has to come from something you yeah. already have. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> so we still have fun and we still unwrap things, but yeah, we, uh, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I, say, I wonder if, like, I could definitely see my kids having almost more fun with the like the humor there's a lot of humor in that right yeah. and like my kids yes. love those kind of like really fun over the top kind of humor things i could de this 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 uh habit of yours this pattern may show up in my household <laughs> great i'm gonna go tell my kids about it <laughs> oh this has been a fun conversation thank you so much for today i loved it <laughs> thank you yeah. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Leaky. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Brian. You. Bye. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.